section eleven of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain field head yet caroline refused tamely to succumb she had native strength in her girl's heart and she used it men and women never struggle so hard as when they struggle alone without witness counsellor or confidant unencouraged unadvised and unpitied miss hellstone was in this position her sufferings were her only spur and being very real and sharp they roused her spirit keenly bent on victory over a mortal pain she did her best to quell it never had she been seen so busy so studious and above all so active she took walks in all weathers long walks in solitary directions day by day she came back in the evening pale and wearied looking yet seemingly not fatigued for still as soon as she had thrown off her bonnet and shawl she would instead of resting begin to pace her apartment sometimes she would not sit down till she was literally faint she said she did this to tire herself well that she might sleep soundly at night but if that was her aim it was unattained for at night when others slumbered she was tossing on her pillow or sitting at the foot of her couch in the darkness forgetful apparently of the necessity of seeking repose often unhappy girl she was crying crying in a sort of intolerable despair which when it rushed over her smote down her strength and reduced her to childlike helplessness when thus prostrate temptations besieged her weak suggestions whispered in her weary heart to write to robert and say that she was unhappy because she was forbidden to see him and hortense and that she feared he would withdraw his friendship not love from her and forget her entirely and begging him to remember her and sometimes to write to her one or two such letters she actually indicted but she never sent them shame and good sense forbade at last the life she led reached the point when it seemed she could bear it no longer that she must seek and find a change somehow or her heart and head would fail under the pressure which strained them she longed to leave briarfield to go to some very distant place she longed for something else the deep secret anxious yearning to discover and know her mother strengthened daily but with the desire was coupled the doubt a dread if she knew her could she love her there was cause for hesitation for apprehension on this point never in her life had she heard that mother praised whoever mentioned her mentioned her coolly her uncle seemed to regard his sister-in-law with a sort of tacit antipathy an old servant who had lived with mrs james hellstone for a short time after her marriage whenever she referred to her former mistress spoke with chilling reserve sometimes she called her queer sometimes she said she did not understand her these expressions were ice to the daughter's heart they suggested the conclusion that it was perhaps better never to know her parent than to know her and not like her 
but one project could she frame whose execution seemed likely to bring her a hope of relief it was to take a situation to be a governess she could do nothing else a little incident brought her to the point when she found courage to break her design to her uncle her long and late walks lay always as has been said on lonely roads but in whatever direction she had rambled whether along the drear skirts of stilbro moor or over the sunny stretch of nunnally common her homeward path was still so contrived as to lead her near the hollow she rarely descended the den but she visited its brink at twilight almost as regularly as the stars rose over the hill crests her resting-place was at a certain stile under a certain old thorn thence she could look down on the cottage the mill the dewy garden ground the still deep dam thence was visible the well-known counting-house window from whose panes at a fixed hour shot suddenly bright the ray of the well-known lamp her errand was to watch for this ray her reward to catch it sometimes sparkling bright in clear air sometimes shimmering dim through mist and anon flashing broken between slant lines of rain for she came in all weathers there were nights when it failed to appear she knew then that robert was from home and went away doubly sad whereas its kindling rendered her elate as though she saw in it the promise of some indefinite hope if while she gazed a shadow bent between the light and lattice her heart leaped that eclipse was robert she had seen him she would return home comforted carrying in her mind a clear vision of his aspect a distincter recollection of his voice his smile his bearing and blent with these impressions was often a sweet persuasion that if she could get near him his heart might welcome her presence yet that at this moment he might be willing to extend his hand and draw her to him and shelter her at his side as he used to do that night though she might weep as usual she would fancy her tears less scalding the pillow they watered seemed a little softer the temples pressed to that pillow ached less the shortest path from the hollow to the rectory wound near a certain mansion the same under whose lone walls malone passed on that night journey mentioned in an early chapter of this work the old and tenantless dwelling yclept field head tenantless by the proprietor it had been for ten years but it was no ruin mr yorke had seen it kept in good repair and an old gardener and his wife had lived in it cultivated the grounds and maintained the house in habitable condition if veald head had few other merits as a building it might at least be termed picturesque its regular architecture and the grey and mossy colouring communicated by time gave it a just claim to this epithet the old latticed windows the stone porch the walls the roof the chimney stacks were rich in crayon touches and sepia lights and shades the trees behind were fine bold and spreading the cedar on the lawn in front was grand and the granite urns on the garden wall 
the fretted arch of the gateway were for an artist as the very desire of the eye one mild may evening caroline passing near about moonrise and feeling though weary unwilling yet to go home where there was only the bed of thorns and the night of grief to anticipate sat down on the mossy ground near the gate and gazed through towards cedar and mansion it was a still night calm dewy cloudless the gables turned to the west reflected the clear amber of the horizon they faced the oaks behind were black the cedar was blacker under its dense raven boughs a glimpse of sky opened gravely blue it was full of the moon which looked solemnly and mildly down on caroline from beneath that sombre canopy she felt this night and prospect mournfully lovely she wished she could be happy she wished she could know inward peace she wondered providence had no pity on her and would not help or console her recollections of happy trysts of lovers commemorated in old ballads returned on her mind she thought such tryst in such scene would be blissful where now was robert she asked not at the hollow she had watched for his lamp long and had not seen it she questioned within herself whether she and moore were ever destined to meet and speak again suddenly the door within the stone porch of the hall opened and two men came out one elderly and white-headed the other young dark-haired and tall they passed across the lawn out through a portal in the garden wall caroline saw them cross the road pass the stile descend the fields she saw them disappear robert moore had passed before her with his friend mr york neither had seen her the apparition had been transient scarce seen ere gone but its electric passage left her veins kindled her soul insurgent it found her despairing it left her desperate two different states oh had he but been alone had he but seen me was her cry he would have said something he would have given me his hand he does he must love me a little he would have shown some token of affection in his eye on his lips i should have read comfort but the chance is lost the wind the cloud shadow does not pass more silently more emptily than he i have been mocked and heaven is cruel thus in the utter sickness of longing and disappointment she went home the next morning at breakfast where she appeared white-cheeked and miserable looking as one who had seen a ghost she inquired of mr hellstone have you any objection uncle to my inquiring for a situation in a family her uncle ignorant as the table supporting his coffee-cup of all his niece had undergone and was undergoing scarcely believed his ears what whim now he asked are you bewitched what can you mean i am not well and need a change she said he examined her he discovered she had experienced a change at any rate without his being aware of it the rose had dwindled and faded to a mere snowdrop bloom had vanished flesh wasted she sat before him drooping colourless and thin but for the soft expression of her brown eyes 
the delicate lines of her features and the flowing abundance of her hair she would no longer have possessed a claim to the epithet pretty what on earth is the matter with you he asked what is wrong how are you ailing no answer only the brown eyes filled the faintly tinted lips trembled look out for a situation indeed for what situation are you fit what have you been doing with yourself you are not well i should be well if i went from home these women are incomprehensible they have the strangest knack of startling you with unpleasant surprises to-day you see them bouncing buxom red as cherries and round as apples to-morrow they exhibit themselves effete as dead weeds blanched and broken down and the reason of it all that's the puzzle she has her meals her liberty a good house to live in and good clothes to wear as usual a while since that sufficed to keep her handsome and cheery and there she sits now a poor little pale puling chit enough provoking then comes the question what is to be done i suppose i must send for advice will you have a doctor child no uncle i don't want one a doctor could do me no good i merely want change of air and scene well if that be the caprice it shall be gratified you shall go to a watering-place i don't mind the expense fanny shall accompany you but uncle some day i must do something for myself i have no fortune i'd better begin now while i live you shall not turn out as a governess caroline i will not have it said that my niece is a governess but the later in life one makes a change of that sort uncle the more difficult and painful it is i should wish to get accustomed to the yoke before any habits of ease and independence are formed i beg you will not harass me caroline i mean to provide for you i've always meant to provide for you i will purchase an annuity bless me i am but fifty-five my health and constitution are excellent there is plenty of time to save and take measures don't make yourself anxious respecting the future is that what frets you no uncle but i long for a change he laughed there speaks the woman cried he the very woman a change a change always fantastical and whimsical well it's in her sex but it is not fantasy and whim uncle what is it then necessity i think i feel weaker than formerly i believe i should have more to do admirable she feels weak and therefore she should be set to hard labour claire comme le jour as more confound more you shall go to cliffbridge and there are two guineas to buy a new frock come carrie never fear we'll find balm in gilead uncle i wish you were less generous and more more what sympathising was the word on caroline's lips but it was not uttered she checked herself in time her uncle would indeed have laughed if that namby-pamby word had escaped her finding her silent he said the fact is you don't know precisely what you want only to be a governess pooh mere nonsense i'll not hear of governessing don't mention it again it is rather too feminine a fancy i've finished breakfast ring the bell put all crotchets out of your head and run away and amuse yourself what with my doll 
as caroline to herself as she quitted the room a week or two passed her bodily and mental health neither grew worse nor better she was now precisely in that state when if her constitution had contained the seeds of consumption decline or slow fever those diseases would have been rapidly developed and would soon have carried her quietly from the world people never die of love or grief alone though some die of inherent maladies which the tortures of those passions prematurely force into destructive action the sound by nature undergo these tortures and are racked shaken shattered their beauty and bloom perish but life remains untouched they are brought to a certain point of dilapidation they are reduced to pallor debility and emaciation people think as they see them gliding languidly about that they will soon withdraw to sick beds perish there and cease from among the healthy and happy this does not happen they live on and though they cannot regain youth and gaiety they may regain strength and serenity the blossom which the march wind nips but fails to sweep away may survive to hang a withered apple on the tree late into autumn having braved the last frosts of spring it may also brave the first of winter every one noticed the change in miss hellstone's appearance and most people said she was going to die she never thought so herself she felt in no dying case she had neither pain nor sickness her appetite was diminished she knew the reason it was because she wept so much at night her strength was lessened she could account for it sleep was coy and hard to be won dreams were distressing and baleful in the far future she still seemed to anticipate a time when this passage of misery should be got over and when she should once more be calm though perhaps never again happy meanwhile her uncle urged her to visit to comply with the frequent invitations of their acquaintance this she evaded doing she could not be cheerful in company she felt she was observed there with more curiosity than sympathy old ladies were always offering her their advice recommending this or that nostrum young ladies looked at her in a way she understood and from which she shrank their eyes said they knew she had been disappointed as custom phrases it by whom they were not certain commonplace young ladies can be quite as hard as commonplace young gentlemen quite as worldly and selfish those who suffer should always avoid them grief and calamity they despise they seem to regard them as the judgments of god on the lowly with them to love is merely to contrive a scheme for achieving a good match to be disappointed is to have their scheme seen through and frustrated they think the feelings and projects of others on the subject of love similar to their own and judge them accordingly all this caroline knew partly by instinct partly by observation she regulated her conduct by her knowledge keeping her pale face and wasted figure as much out of sight as she could living thus in complete seclusion she ceased to receive intelligence of the little transactions of the neighbourhood one morning her uncle came into the parlour where she sat endeavouring to find some pleasure in painting a little group of wild flowers 
gathered under a hedge at the top of the hollow fields and said to her in his abrupt manner come child you are always stooping over palette or book or sampler leave that tinting work by the by do you put your pencil to your lips when you paint sometimes uncle when i forget then it is that which is poisoning you the paints are deleterious child there is white lead and red lead and verdigris and gamboge and twenty other poisons in those colour cakes lock them up lock them up get your bonnet on i want you to make a call with me with you uncle this question was asked in a tone of surprise she was not accustomed to make calls with her uncle she never rode or walked out with him on any occasion quick quick i'm always busy you know i've no time to lose she hurriedly gathered up her materials asking meantime where they were going to field head field head what to see old james booth the gardener is he ill we're going to see miss shirley keeldar miss keeldar is she coming to yorkshire is she at field head she is she has been there a week i met her at a party last night that party to which you would not go i was pleased with her i choose that you shall make her acquaintance it will do you good she is now come of age i suppose she is come of age and will reside for a time on her property i lectured her on the subject i showed her her duty she is not intractable she is rather a fine girl she will teach you what it is to have a sprightly spirit nothing lackadaisical about her i don't think she will want to see me or to have me introduced to her what good can i do her how can i amuse her pshaw put your bonnet on is she proud uncle don't know you hardly imagine she would show her pride to me i suppose a chit like that would scarcely presume to give herself airs with the rector of her parish however rich she might be no but how did she behave to other people didn't observe she holds her head high and probably can be saucy enough where she dare she wouldn't be a woman otherwise there away now for your bonnet at once not naturally very confident a failure of physical strength and a depression of spirits had not tended to increase caroline's presence of mind and ease of manner or to give her additional courage to face strangers and she quailed in spite of self-remonstrance as she and her uncle walked up the broad paved approach leading from the gateway of fieldhead to its porch she followed mr hellstone reluctantly through that porch into the sombre old vestibule beyond very sombre it was long vast and dark one latticed window lit it but dimly the wide old chimney contained now no fire for the present warm weather needed it not it was filled instead with willow boughs the gallery on high opposite the entrance was seen but in outline so shadowy became this hall towards its ceiling carved stags heads with real antlers looked down grotesquely from the walls this was neither a grand nor a comfortable house within as without it was antique rambling and incommodious a property of a thousand a year belonged to it which property had descended for lack of male heirs on a female 
there were mercantile families in the district boasting twice the income but the keeldars by virtue of their antiquity and their distinction of lords of the manor took the precedence of all mr and miss hellstone were ushered into a parlour of course as was to be expected in such a gothic old barrack this parlour was lined with oak fine dark glossy panels compassed the walls gloomily and grandly very handsome reader these shining brown panels are very mellow in colouring and tasteful in effect but if you know what a spring clean is very execrable and inhuman whoever having the bowels of humanity has seen servants scrubbing at these polished wooden walls with beeswaxed claws on a warm may day must allow that they are intolerable and not to be endured and i cannot but secretly applaud the benevolent barbarian who had painted another and larger apartment of field-head the drawing-room to wit formerly also an oak-room of a delicate pinky white thereby earning for himself the character of a hun but mightily enhancing the cheerfulness of that portion of his abode and saving future housemaids a world of toil the brown panelled parlour was furnished all in old style and with real old furniture on each side of the high mantelpiece stood two antique chairs of oak solid as sylvan thrones and in one of these sat a lady but if this were miss keeldar she must have come of age at least some twenty years ago she was of matronly form and though she wore no cap and possessed hair of quite an undimmed auburn shading small and naturally young-looking features she had no youthful aspect nor apparently the wish to assume it you could have wished her attire of a newer fashion in a well-cut well-made gown hers would have been no uncomely presence it puzzled you to guess why a garment of handsome materials should be arranged in such scanty folds and devised after such an obsolete mode you felt disposed to set down the wearer as somewhat eccentric at once this lady received the visitors with a mixture of ceremony and diffidence quite english no middle-aged matron who was not an englishwoman could evince precisely the same manner a manner so uncertain of herself of her own merits of her power to please and yet so anxious to be proper and if possible rather agreeable than otherwise in the present instance however more embarrassment was shown than is usual even with diffident englishwomen miss hellstone felt this sympathized with the stranger and knowing by experience what was good for the timid took a seat quietly near her and began to talk to her with a gentle ease communicated for the moment by the presence of one less self-possessed than herself she and this lady would if alone have at once got on extremely well together the lady had the clearest voice imaginable infinitely softer and more tuneful than could have been reasonably expected from forty years and a form decidedly inclined to en bon point this voice caroline liked it atoned for the formal if correct accent and language the lady would soon have discovered she liked it and her and in ten minutes they would have been friends but mr hellstone stood on the rug looking at them both looking especially at the strange lady with his sarcastic keen eye that clearly expressed impatience 
of her chilly ceremony and annoyance at her want of aplomb his hard gaze and rasping voice discomfited the lady more and more she tried however to get up little speeches about the weather the aspect of the country etc but the impracticable mr hellstone presently found himself somewhat deaf whatever she said he affected not to hear distinctly and she was obliged to go over each elaborately constructed nothing twice the effort soon became too much for her she was just rising in a perplexed flutter nervously murmuring that she knew not what detained miss keeldar that she would go and look for her when miss keeldar saved her the trouble by appearing it was to be presumed at least that she who now came in through a glass door from the garden owned that name there is real grace in ease of manner and so old hellstone felt when an erect slight girl walked up to him retaining with her left hand her little silk apron full of flowers and giving him her right hand said pleasantly i knew you would come to see me though you do think mr york has made me a jacobin good morning but we'll not have you a jacobin returned he no miss shirley they shall not steal the flower of my parish from me now that you are amongst us you shall be my pupil in politics and religion i'll teach you sound doctrine on both points mrs pryor has anticipated you she replied turning to the elder lady mrs pryor you know was my governess and is still my friend and of all the high and rigid tories she is queen of all the stanch churchwomen she is chief i have been well drilled both in theology and history i assure you mr hellstone the rector immediately bowed very low to mrs pryor and expressed himself obliged to her the ex-governess disclaimed skill either in political or religious controversy explained that she thought such matters little adapted for female minds but avowed herself in general terms the advocate of order and loyalty and of course truly attached to the establishment she added she was ever averse to change under any circumstances and something scarcely audible about the extreme danger of being too ready to take up new ideas closed her sentence miss gildar thinks as you think i hope madam difference of age and difference of temperament occasion difference of sentiment was the reply it can scarcely be expected that the eager and young should hold the opinions of the cool and middle-aged oh oh we are independent we think for ourselves cried mr hellstone we are a little jacobin for anything i know a little freethinker in good earnest let us have a confession of faith on the spot and he took the heiress's two hands causing her to let fall her whole cargo of flowers and seated her by him on the sofa say your creed he ordered the apostles creed yes she said it like a child now for st athanasius's that's the test let me gather up my flowers here is tartar coming he will tread upon them tartar was a rather large strong and fierce-looking dog very ugly being of a breed between mastiff and bulldog who at this moment entered through the glass door and posting directly to the rug 
snuffed the fresh flowers scattered there he seemed to scorn them as food but probably thinking their velvety petals might be convenient as litter he was turning round preparatory to depositing his tawny bulk upon them and miss helstone and miss keeldar simultaneously stooped to the rescue thank you said the heiress as she again held out her little apron for caroline to heap the blossoms into it is this your daughter mr helstone she asked my niece caroline miss keeldar shook hands with her and then looked at her caroline also looked at her hostess shirley keeldar she had no christian name but shirley her parents who had wished to have a son finding that after eight years of marriage providence had granted them only a daughter bestowed on her the same masculine family cognomen they would have bestowed on a boy if with a boy they had been blessed shirley keeldar was no ugly heiress she was agreeable to the eye her height and shape were not unlike miss hellstone's perhaps in stature she might have the advantage by an inch or two she was gracefully made and her face too possessed a charm as well described by the word grace as any other it was pale naturally but intelligent and of varied expression she was not a blonde like caroline clear and dark were the characteristics of her aspect as to colour her face and brow were clear her eyes of the darkest grey no green lights in them transparent pure neutral grey and her hair of the darkest brown her features were distinguished by which i do not mean that they were high bony and roman being indeed rather small and slightly marked than otherwise but only that they were to use a few french words fin gracieux spirituel mobile they were and speaking but their changes were not to be understood nor their language interpreted all at once she examined caroline seriously inclining her head a little to one side with a thoughtful air you see she is only a feeble chick observed mr hellstone she looks young younger than i how old are you she inquired in a manner that would have been patronizing if it had not been extremely solemn and simple eighteen years and six months and i am twenty-one she said no more she had now placed her flowers on the table and was busied in arranging them and st athanasius's creed urged the rector you believe it all don't you i can't remember it quite all i will give you a nosegay mr helstone when i have given your niece one she has selected a little bouquet of one brilliant and two or three delicate flowers relieved by a spray of dark verdure she tied it with silk from her work-box and placed it on caroline's lap and then she put her hands behind her and stood bending slightly towards her guest still regarding her in the attitude and with something of the aspect of a grave but gallant little cavalier this temporary expression of face was aided by the style in which she wore her hair parted on one temple and brushed in a glossy sweep above the forehead whence it fell in curls that looked natural so free were their wavy undulations are you tired with your walk she inquired no not in the least it is but a short distance but a mile you look pale is she always so pale she asked turning to the rector she used to be as rosy as the reddest of your flowers why is she altered what has made her pale has she been ill she tells me she wants a change 
she ought to have one you ought to give her one you should send her to the sea-coast i will ere summer is over meantime i intend her to make acquaintance with you if you have no objection i am sure miss keeldar will have no objection here observed mrs pryor i think i may take it upon me to say that miss hellstone's frequent presence at fieldhead will be esteemed a favour you speak my sentiments precisely ma'am said shirley and i thank you for anticipating me let me tell you she continued turning again to caroline that you also ought to thank my governess it is not every one she would welcome as she has welcomed you you are distinguished more than you think this morning as soon as you are gone i shall ask mrs pryor's opinion of you i am apt to rely on her judgment of character for hitherto i found it wondrous accurate already i foresee a favourable answer to my inquiries do i not guess rightly mrs pryor my dear you said but now you would ask my opinion when miss hellstone was gone i am scarcely likely to give it in her presence no and perhaps it will be long enough before i obtain it i am sometimes sadly tantalised mr hellstone by mrs pryor's extreme caution her judgments ought to be correct when they come for they are often as tardy of delivery as a lord chancellor's on some people's characters i cannot get her to pronounce a sentence entreat as i may mrs pryor here smiled yes said her pupil i know what that smile means you are thinking of my gentleman tenant do you know mr moore of the hollow she asked mr hellstone ay ay your tenant so he is you have seen a good deal of him no doubt since you came i have been obliged to see him there was business to transact business really the word makes me conscious i am indeed no longer a girl but quite a woman and something more i am an esquire surely keeldar esquire ought to be my style and title they gave me a man's name i hold a man's position it is enough to inspire me with a touch of manhood and when i see such people as that stately anglo-belgian that gerard moore before me gravely talking to me of business really i feel quite gentlemanlike you must choose me for your churchwarden mr hellstone the next time you elect new ones they ought to make me a magistrate and a captain of yeomanry tony lumpkin's mother was a colonel and his aunt a justice of the peace why shouldn't i be with all my heart if you choose to get up a requisition on the subject i promise to head the list of signatures with my name but you were speaking of more ah yes i find it a little difficult to understand mr moore to know what to think of him whether to like him or not he seems a tenant of whom any proprietor might be proud and proud of him i am in that sense but as a neighbour what is he again and again i have entreated mrs pryor to say what she thinks of him but she still evades returning a direct answer i hope you will be less oracular mr hellstone and pronounce at once do you like him not at all just now his name is entirely blotted from my good books what is the matter what has he done my uncle and he disagree on politics interposed the low voice of caroline she had better not have spoken just then having scarcely joined in the conversation before it was not apropos to do it now she felt this with nervous acuteness as soon as she had spoken and coloured to the eyes what are moore's politics inquired shirley those of a tradesman returned the rector 
narrow selfish and unpatriotic the man is eternally writing and speaking against the continuance of the war i've no patience with him the war hurts his trade i remember he remarked that only yesterday but what other objection have you to him that is enough he looks the gentleman in my sense of the term pursued shirley and it pleases me to think he is such caroline rent the tyrian petals of the one brilliant flower in her bouquet and answered in distinct tones decidedly he is shirley hearing this courageous affirmation flashed an arch searching glance at the speaker from her deep expressive eyes you are his friend at any rate she said you defend him in his absence i am both his friend and his relative was the prompt reply robert moore is my cousin oh then you can tell me all about him just give me a sketch of his character insuperable embarrassment seized caroline when this demand was made she could not and did not attempt to comply with it her silence was immediately covered by mrs pryor who proceeded to address sundry questions to mr hellstone regarding a family or two in the neighbourhood with whose connections in the south she said she was acquainted shirley soon withdrew her gaze from miss hellstone's face she did not renew her interrogations but returning to her flowers proceeded to choose a nosegay for the rector she presented it to him as he took leave and received the homage of a salute on the hand in return be sure you wear it for my sake said she next my heart of course responded hellstone mrs pryor take care of this future magistrate this churchwarden in perspective this captain of yeomanry this young squire of briarfield in a word don't let him exert himself too much don't let him break his neck in hunting especially let him mind how he rides down that dangerous hill near the hollow i like a descent said shirley i like to clear it rapidly and especially i like the romantic hollow with all my heart romantic with a mill in it romantic with a mill in it the old mill and the white cottage are each admirable in its way and the counting-house mr keeldar the counting-house is better than my bloom-coloured drawing-room i adore the counting-house and the trade the cloth the greasy wool the polluting dying vats the trade is to be thoroughly respected and the tradesman is a hero good i'm glad to hear you say so i thought the tradesman looked heroic mischief spirit and glee sparkled all over her face as she thus bandied words with the old cossack who almost equally enjoyed the tilt captain keeldar you have no mercantile blood in your veins why are you so fond of trade because i am a mill-owner of course half my income comes from the works in that hollow don't enter into partnership that's all you put it into my head you put it into my head she exclaimed with a joyous laugh it will never get out thank you and waving her hand white as a lily and fine as a fairy's she vanished within the porch while the rector and his niece passed out through the arched gateway End of section eleven